so good to be here again. Last time I was here was uh, in the summer last year, so about a year ago, and, and uh, at that point you hadn't actually moved in, so it's really not lovely to be here, yeah. It's also lovely to be with God's people, amen. Tonight I want to talk a little bit about becoming more of a missions-minded church becoming more. You are a missions-minded church. In fact, we need to thank you for your prayers, your encouragement, and support. Calvary Chapel South has been supporting us for, Kevin, I have, I have no idea, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years that you guys have stood behind us in prayer and giving. And uh, go ahead, give yourself a clap. Yeah, good. Thank you. So I just want to officially say, you have to pass on to the rest of the fellowship. Thank you from us for standing with us in all this time. But I want to talk about becoming more of a missions-minded church. You are a missions-minded church, but how do we move ourselves along? Any church that is staying in the same place becomes stagnant. Now, you guys have been on a, on a roll. You got a new building, you got new things going on, new people, and it's important that we continue to build. It's important that we build spiritually and emotionally and physically and that we are doing everything we can. Sorry, my Mexican food's coming out. We, we're doing everything. I put it in my pocket. Don't worry, I didn't drop it on the floor. <laughs> we're doing everything we can to win as many people to Jesus, to disciple them, to plant churches, and to bring the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? That's why we're here. You are his way of doing this. And so we're, we all know that. We're, so I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm talking to missionaries tonight. I'm talking to sent ones. And so listen from that perspective. Don't turn around and say, oh, well, this is for somebody who's really called to missions. We're all called to be God's witnesses. We're all called to be his ambassadors, right? So let's, let's think a little bit about that. Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Our God is a missionary God. And the Bible is really a book about missions. From the call of Abraham in the book of Genesis to John's vision in the book of Revelations, missions is one of the central themes of the gospel. It's been a focus for me for the last 35 years in Christine as we've been serving the Lord in missions. And, and missions is really God's account of how he's worked to bring salvation to the ends of the world. When you think about it, God the Father had one son, and he became the greatest missionary who ever lived. He went from perfect heaven to an imperfect world and died there. The greatest cross-cultural change known to man. And, and, and he did this because he loved us. In Romans 5.8, Paul says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were pounding the nails into his hands through our own choice, choices and rebellion and sin, Jesus died for us because he wants 
all men to be saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Paul says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved. Notice that word all. All men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And his word is truth. And God wants all men to come to an understanding that he is the way, the truth, and the life. In Isaiah chapter 45, in verse 22, we get a scripture that captures God's heart cry for the world. He says, turn to me, this is Isaiah speaking, and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So being missions-minded means that we need to see that missions is one of God's divine orchestrated purposes for his church since the beginning of time until that day he takes us to be with him forever. Missions is a part of who we are. It's the backbone of the Bible. So it's one of the central themes. Now, not only is God committed to missions, but no one will stop him from accomplishing his all people's missionary purposes. In the book of Revelations, chapter 5 and verse 9, uh, the writer says, And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And of course, this is speaking of Jesus. Purchasing men for God through the shed blood of Jesus that all people would have a chance to know him. One day before the throne room, one day before the throne we're going to be up there before God. I, I, I can't even begin to describe it because I don't know what it's going to be like. But we're going to be there with Namibians, and we're going to be there with Indians, and we're going to be there with can Canadians, and we're going to be with Mexicans, and we're going to be with Ukrainians, and, and all these different peoples all across the face of this planet who are worshiping Jesus. You know, that's the climax. This is the end of the story. Life is not about living here. Life is about eternity with Jesus. I, we should be pilgrims passing through. We should be people who are committed ones, not just living for this life. Yes, enjoying life. God wants us to enjoy it. But it's life for us is much more than this life. Paul said, if it's only for this life, we are to be more pitied than all men. But it's not. We are not just living for this life. There is an eternal life that's coming. And that's going to be forever and ever and ever. And so this little speck of 80, 90, 70 years, whatever God would give us, is just that, in the light of eternity. So let's live for eternity. Let's be kingdom people. Let's dream his dream. God says this in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. You see, Jesus, who said these words, was on the Mount of Olives, talking to his disciples, and he's talking about the signs that of the end of the age and of the last days. And he says that this gospel of the, of the kingdom will go to all nations. I want to be a part of that. Do you want to be a part of that? 
Amen. And we are a part of it. Maybe we don't know it, but God has called us to be a part of bringing his good news to all the world. In Revelations chapter 11, verse 15, we get a prophetic picture of what will happen in the future. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. It's a promise. One day, he is going to take his rightful rulership, and his kingdom will go on forever and ever and ever. It's not a possibility. It is going to happen, and we get to be a part of that. Thank you, Jesus. But what about the billions out there who still do not know you? Do we care about them like, like Jesus did? Paul said in Philippians 2, 9 and 10, Therefore God had exalted him, of course is speaking of Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So now once we know that missions is one of the main purposes of God and central themes throughout the word, then what do we talk about? What do we mean when we say missions? Is missions getting on a Boeing 737 and flying to another country with a group of people to do some special act of love? Is missions when you need a passport when, when, and to go out and you get, a, you get a stamp in it? You know, you said, yeah, I was there. Is that where missions takes place? No, when, when the Bible talks about missions, it's simply talking about reaching others for Jesus Christ. It's talking about discipling the nations, transforming societies wherever that may be, whether it's in Asia or in Kent. It doesn't matter. Missions begins when you walk outside the door of the church to be a light to the world. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, listen to that words, implore. We implore you, come on, church. Be, come on, people, be reconciled to God. That's our call. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be calling people to the relationship with Jesus. Now, sometimes I really fail. I'm a missionary, but I have times when I don't feel like talking, to about, the, talking about the Lord. Anybody ever feel like that? A few of us, the rest of us, will we'll talk about lying in the next session. That'll come up, but right now. Yes, we all do, don't we? Sometimes, sometimes we allow fear to keep us from moving on, and that happens to me too. But Jesus has said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power. That word power is dunamis. It speaks of miracle working power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus didn't say we might be his witnesses. It said we are his, we will be his witnesses. So the only question is not if we'll be a witness or not. The only question is what kind of witness will we be for Jesus? So let's dream God's dream for evangelism all across the world. 
including right here locally, right among your own community of peoples. Jesus said, go into all the world, and that includes Kent, includes the South End, it includes Washington State. There's a lot of heathens. Anybody notice there's a lot of heathen people out here in, in this part of the world? Yeah, they don't know Jesus. They're living without hope and living without God, and God loves them and cares for them. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, meaning change of location, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That word go or change of location or move on can also speak about an attitude of heart where we go in our heart to bring the truth of Jesus to all the world through intercession, through prayer, through one-on-one -on -one, uh, witnessing, we can go. We can be involved in Albania tonight. We can be involved in seeing God do something in Czechoslovakia. There's not Czechoslovakia, but Slovakia tonight. We can be involved in Russia tonight. Just through our intercession. And so we need to go in our heart attitudes. Go is, a, is, is, an, is what God has called us. Jesus said, all authority has been given. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Ethnos, every people group. So we need to have uh, a commitment to go. Now, some of us might not be ever be called to go to another country. Not everybody's called to that. Or maybe go a full-time job and, and, and just make missions your only focus. A lot of people are not called like that. But we're all called to go and be a witness to, to people in the people God has called us to. Our mission field might be a certain geographical area and people that you meet and the people you see at work, they're your mission field. And so Jesus wants us to be disciples to be disciples who are making disciples of all nations, of all ethnos, of all people groups. In, in, um, so I'm going to go ahead and give you some keys for being uh, missions, more of a missions-minded church. Remember, we already mission-minded, but these are keys to help you go forward in being missions-minded. First one, embrace God's heart for world evangelization. Realizing that he is a missionary God and he longs for all men to come to him for salvation. His great love has moved him to have deep compassion for the masses of people who are lost. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 36, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus was concerned about the masses of people who were living without God, who were living without a spiritual protector who was watching over them. And he longed, he longed for all men to, become, to come unto him. In Matthew 23, verse 37, we get one of the, the prayers of Jesus, which shows his great heart while he's walking on earth for the lost. 
It says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children, to, um, children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, Jesus went willingly to the cross to pay the price that we could not pay to die for the sins of the world because of his amazing love for all people, not just the people who were alive during his day, but all people since, the, since God created Adam right up until the very final day of history when God comes back and changes and this whole world is changed. And so we need to embrace God's heart for reaching the unreached because he is a God who is concerned about all people. And so we need to be committed to see every person get a chance to hear and understand and be discipled in God's ways. I believe that is a challenge for us to take up. Every person to get a chance to hear. They might reject it. Okay, they got the chance. Chance to hear, and if they want, to understand, and if they want, to be discipled. Every person, what a challenge. So the second key is for, for being more of a mission-minded church is we need to see that the fields are ripe for harvest. You see, we need a new heavenly perspective of the challenge before the church today. Jesus said in John 4, 35, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. We need to realize that even now, God has been working and preparing people's hearts to receive the truth. Maybe even that person that one time was not willing to listen, maybe he's ready now. Maybe she has been changed. Maybe something has happened. In Psalms 126, verse 5 and 6, the author says this, those who sow in tears, sowing the word, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. It's talking about a spiritual principle. What you sow, so you shall reap. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, weeping with broken hearts over the lost and the needy people of this world, he who goes out weeping, where am I? Carrying the seed to sow the word of God, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves, fruit with him, lives with him, souls with him, friends with him, new believers, new brothers, new people in God's kingdom with him. So we need to realize that now the reaper and the sower can rejoice together because God is calling many during this time to himself. It is a harvest time. We need to see that in the valley of decision, there are millions who are there now and are waiting to hear the truth that we know that he is the only way, truth, and life. And so God will build his church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, but we need to catch hold of our part in that vision. And that is to see that the fields are ripe for harvest. In the natural, you might not see it, but you, got, you can't just look through the natural. You've got to see it with God's vision into the, situ into the people and the places he's called us to. So the second 
key is we need to see that the fields are ripe for harvest. The third key for being more of a mission-minded church is we need to mobilize both people and resources for the unfinished task. And we can do that several ways. For example, one of the ways is helping the church understand the challenge before us. To see that the task is immense and that God is wanting us to take part in bringing in his harvest in these last days. So we need to call others to see the vision of reaching the loss, the challenge of giving your whole life for world evangelization, joining our hands together with other parts of the body of Christ so that we can see communities transformed. And, 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 we, and in order, the second thing we need to help the church do is believe that we can do it. Let's, let's look at a couple charts. Let's look at believers compared to unbelievers. In the year 100, there is 360 unbelievers for every one believer. In the year 1000, 220 for every one. In the year 1500, 69 unbelievers for every one believer. In the year 1900, 27 unbelievers for every one believer. In the year 2000, estimated seven unbelievers for every one believer. You see, the job's getting smaller. Our generation is in the best place to finish the Great Commission than any other generation that has come up to this point. We need to understand it is possible. The church can do it. If the church trusts God, joins hands with other parts of the body of Christ, and together go forward. Bible-believing churches compared to unreached people groups. In the year 100, there was one Bible-believing church for every 12 unreached people groups. In the year 1000, one Bible-believing church, one unreached people group. In the year 1500, four Bible-believing churches for every unreached people group. 1900, 10 for one. 1980, 162 for one. And finally, in the year 2000, 580 Bible-believing churches for every one unreached people group. You see, we can make a difference. So don't allow sort of a negativity, an unbelief, uh, uh, a doubting to, to crowd out the challenge. Yes, the challenge is great, but God is greater. And he's so much more committed than we realize to bringing his good news to every person on the face of this planet. The third thing we can do to help the church uh, mobilize people and resources is we need to help them to get involved. Show them how. In Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38, um, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That is a fact, church. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then Jesus says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, the Father, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus, in response to this challenge, tells his disciples, you pray that the Father will send more people into his harvest field to take a proactive stance in recruiting, in mobilizing, and calling forth a new generation of teenagers, young people, as well as old people into God's all people's mercenary purposes. So we need to be moving in that way. So the third key is to mobilize people and resource for God. The fourth key, I'm trying to not keep you late tonight because it's Wednesday night. And the fourth key for being a mission-minded church is be committed to release full-time 
I put missionaries, but I want to say this. Full-time Christian workers. Full-time uh, uh, people who are serving God, supporting them so they can follow the call, call of God. In Romans 10, verse 14 and 15, Paul in Romans 10 has been talking about his heart desire to, for, to see Israel saved. And then he says these amazing verses. He says, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, I believe God is calling the church international to a deeper commitment to both sending and standing with local as well as foreign missions all around the world, including our neighborhood right here, right outside where we live. I believe God wants us to be a mobilizing, recruiting, equipping and releasing church and to keep growing in those things. One year I was up in a place in Nepal. It's about, I, I, I'm never quite sure, but I think it was like before Kevin and Charlotte came, I think it was like 80, 86 or something. I think you guys came in 87, 87, yeah. I think we were in 86. We went up to a place in East Nepal. We took a small a twin otter um, plane and went up to a, you know, only 12 people in the, in the plane and went up to a remote place. We got off and we began from this remote place, we began a five-day trek and we literally passed many, many, many villages and never met one person who heard the name of Jesus. We were passing out tracks. We were sharing. I went with two Nepalis and, um, and, and you know, we, we just did our, as much evangelism as we could everywhere we went. We passed out tracks. One day I was, um, <clears throat> it was uh, about the, uh, I think it was like the, the third or fourth day of the trek. And um, I went up on a high village overlooking the, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, I went up on a high ridge overlooking the village. And you could see uh, the morning was coming and uh, the smoke in the, in the little chimneys out, out, or out the side of the roofs, I should say, was coming out. People were starting to wake up. And I was saying, Lord, Give me this village. Lord, give me people to share with. Lord, I cry out for your kingdom. Would somebody, that they would, somebody would know that, that, that about Jesus. And I said, Lord, give me somebody to witness to. And an old man, a Nepali man comes up, up this trail. And I started talking with him. I thought, oh, this is God. So I started talking to him and got my Nepali Bible out. And I shared in my best Nepali and went on for half an hour. And after I talked, I, you know, <clears throat> He was moving on, and I said to him, would you like to believe? Do you want to believe in Jesus? And he said to me, how can I believe? I've never heard about this God before. I can't read your Nepali book. He, doesn't, he, was, he was Nepali, but he, he was a Tamangi person. He didn't have the same language, but he understood Nepali. He can't read it. He said, there's no one else like you who believes the way you do. How can I believe? And he walked away. And I thought to myself, I put on my backpack, met the team, and began walking down the trail. In the middle of the trail, I felt the Spirit of God come upon me, and I began to weep as I realized most of Nepal was like this. Most of Nepal is not going to be reached unless somebody goes, lives among them, shows them Jesus, and, and is there long enough to help them to believe. 
What a challenge that is when I heard that. You see, I, I go back to this. How can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching them? And how can they preach if they're not sent? So the church has been given the great responsibility to be senders, both locally and internationally. We should be the equippers of people who are out there being the hands and the feet of Jesus, the intersection point between God and men today. We're his ambassadors. We are his chosen. We are the light. He is the light of the world. But he says, I want you to shine your light for me. Are we doing that, church? Are we doing that? Not just in Wednesday morning, Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings. Are we doing it in our communities? Are we doing it at work? Are we doing it when we're out shopping? Are we doing it? The other day, just yesterday, I was up at the realtor's office uh, in East Wenatchee about my property. And my wife says, shh, you're getting too carried away. I'll do that. And, and uh, we just talked about the house. And then I said, can we just pray about that? And she said, okay. Sort of like, we don't do that here, you know. But she did. And, uh, and she was a Christian. And actually, she was very blessed. Uh, and, you know, you, people might not speak it out, but be bold. Take the chance. Go ahead and share. Go ahead and say, come on, can I pray for you? Come on, let's, let's do that. Do it. I'm amazed how many people love to be prayed for. The fifth key for being more mission-minded church, we need to develop strategies to help our church grow in both local and international missions. We can, support up mission, we can start missionary support groups. They can collect the best material that they can get a hold of. You could put flags maybe around different, different countries on God, that's God placed on your heart in different parts of the sanctuary as reminders that we're going to the world, as reminders that we're called to this country and this country and this country and Kent and South Seattle or wherever you're called to. We can do lots of different ways to help people keep in touch with your with your local and your foreign missionaries. Form prayer teams. Um, bring the needs of the, of, of, the, of the workers who are doing evangelism to the awareness of the whole church and let the whole church pray for them. Set up a, a missions day once every so many months. Set up a missions day where the whole focus is going to the world. Another way we can do it is we can use social networks such as Facebook, Twitter, charts, blogs, websites, visual aids. Get the young guys. Man, they know it. They can do these things. We can't. People in our generation, we're slow. But their generation, man, they've been living off that stuff. Give them a task. Tell them, find out the challenges in our community and present it in a visual cha visually challenging way and we'll give you a chance to share the need. And you let them, let them be a part. Help them to be a part of doing something. Find ways to, find ways to raise money. Find ways to um, help people stay out there. Realizing that it is tough to be out living a long ways away from home. Especially when you've got kids who are no longer with you. And now maybe might be living in, in America or some other country of the world. And realize that um, when they come back, they're coming back to pretty much a foreign country. A country they left in love, and, but when they come back, it's different. And they, they might not seem, see how they can fit in. Help them to find a way. Help them to reconnect with the church in a way that's meaningful. Kevin does that so good to us. 
Every time. We go out from Mexico, we go out to something, but he always brings us in. We always felt so blessed um, by Kevin and Charlotte. So the fifth way uh, is develop strategies to help your church grow in both local and foreign mission. The sixth thing we can do is we need to be committed to finishing the task. You see, our God is a finisher. The Bible calls Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith in Hebrews 12 too. The King James Version says this, the author and finisher. And the word in Greek for finisher or um, perfecter is, speaks about a completeness both in the mental, mentally and morally. And so that Greek word speaks about a real finishing. In Genesis 2, the Bible says God finished his work and rested on the seventh day. Now, God's rest was more than the rest of being tired. I I don't know if God ever really got tired, but he did rest. So, I don't know. You, You figure that one out. But it says it was also the rest of completion. He did it. He created the world. It's a rest of fulfillment. It's the rest of faith. And so... Jesus said in John 4, 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see, Jesus got strength and nourishment, food. He got strength and nourishment from finishing the things that God had told him to do. In John 5, 36, Jesus said, I have a testimony weightier than that of John for the very work the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. You see, Jesus knew that the work the Father had given him to do was meant to be finished. And whenever God gives us a commandment, it's meant to be followed to the very end. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. It's disobedience. So we need to be committed to finishing the necessary action of what God has called us to do, a finisher. Paul was a finisher. In Acts 20, 24, the Bible says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Notice how much he longed to finish the race and complete the task. At the end of his life, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Tonight, Kevin and I are talking about finishing well. He even just gave me a a book called Finish Strong. Finishing Strong or Finish Strong or one of the two. And, you know, I want to finish. How many people want to finish well? Absolutely, all of us. We all want to finish well, don't we? And sometimes it's easy to start. Like I ran a marathon a long time ago. That was before I had brains. But in those days, I did run a marathon. But my objective was I was going to finish it for the greater Himalayas, for the people of the Himalayas. And when I hit the wall at about, it's 26 miles, right? When I hit the wall at about 19 miles, and my body was screaming, shut down, stupid. You've never gone this far. You can't do it. You are an idiot. Stop now before you die. When your body screams like that, it was the vision 
of reaching every people and wanting to finish well that drove me forward, and God used that for the Himalayas. For the people who don't know Jesus, for those who will one day come into the kingdom, for the building of the church, the body of Christ internationally. So Paul was a finisher. He said he fought the fight. And we need to have that same mentality of completion when we're facing the giants of the, king, uh, of the kingdom of darkness, aiming to bring the good news to all of creation. So we need to be committed to finishing the Great Commission. And the seventh and final key for being more of a missions-minded church is to believe God for a new wave of pioneer missionaries who will be both local and who will be bo effective both in our local communities and internationally. Paul was a pioneer. In Romans 15, 20, verse 21. Verse 21 is a life verse for me. For Romans 15, 20, it has always been my ambition. Hear the heart of Paul. Hear the thing that stirred him. Hear the deep desire, the inner motivation, that, that which was compelling him to move forward. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as is risen, those who are not told, those who haven't heard, they those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. It's a promise. People will come to Jesus today, tomorrow, and right up until the day when Jesus comes back. You see, Paul had apostolic ambition, ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. He longed to push back the powers of darkness. He longed to kick down the doors where the enemy said, sorry, this belongs to me. He would go up to those places and hit them spiritually. God wants to release a whole new wave of pioneers to open the eyes of the blind. But not just pioneers, not just pioneers who go to unreached geographical areas, we can also be involved in the seven spheres of influence. There are some of us are going to be called to minister in the realm of family. You can go ahead and click it one more time. Family, thank you. And, and in other ones, others will be called for government. That might be your gifting. You are to use politics to build the kingdom. God can use you to, to use economic, economies, which speaks of science and technology and business. Or in the area of religion, Working out to Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, whatever they may be, tribals. Um, or also it could be in the area of education. Boy, we need educators who see things from God's perspective. And in the area of media, communication. God has given this area of media and the enemy has exploited it. Time the kingdom uses it for God's purposes. That's why he's given it. It's for God's kingdom to be established. And finally, in the area of celebration, which speaks about arts, entertainment, and sports. In all these areas, these mind molders of society, God can call different pioneers to go into these areas and affect them. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 15 and 16, Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope, here is the hope in him. Our hope, is that as your faith continues to grow, church at Corinth, our activity, um, um, area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospels in the regions beyond you. I love it. Inside that 
is what is it's all about being apostolic. Continuing to push the boundaries where the kingdom has gone and keep breaking in, taking new territory for Jesus Christ. You see, in this verse, we get a glimpse of Paul's hope in his evangelism. And that is that as the Corinthians' faith continued to grow, it'll open more doors and more doors for preaching the word, for seeing God's kingdom go forward. So Paul was a pioneer with a mentality of expansion and growth. He longed to see kingdom multiplication, bringing all peoples to his great saving purposes. So I believe God is looking for people today who still do that. I believe God is looking for people who will not who will not allow the lies of this world to draw them away from God's heart cry for world missions. A people who will keep sharing their faith no matter how much fear comes. God the Father said to his son in Psalms chapter 2, verse 8, Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. I believe God loves it when we do that. I believe he loves it when you ask for Him, ask from him something so big that it's destined to fail unless God steps in and, do, and does it. If you're living for something that you can do in your own lifetime, it's too small. You need to be living for something you can't do in your lifetime. Only with God can it possibly be done. Live for something that is so great that it motivates you and causes you to reach for other uh, greater limits in God and greater, uh, I forgot what I'm trying to say, but um, to, to reach out and, and, and to, to move on in faith. So let's review the keys for becoming more of a missionary-minded church. Number one, Embrace God's heart for world missions, realizing he is a missionary God. His heart bleeds for the lost. Number two, see that the fields are ripe for harvest. You know, sometimes I just don't, I sit in that train, I got all these unsaved people around me, and I just want to read my book. It's easy, it helps the time pass, and it doesn't make, I don't have to get into confrontation. And sometimes I just feel so condemned. I live among peoples who have never heard the name of Jesus, and I don't get up. Well, thank God that's not all the time, but that's reality. Sometimes I think the greatest pain maybe Jesus sees is the ones who have so much and yet hold back. The Bible says we are not of those who shrink back but of those who believe and are saved. You know, so the third, the third key is we need to mobilize both people and resources for the unfinished task. That realize that it's bigger than us and that the whole church, the whole church can be involved in missions right here and internationally. Kevin is your pastor and he's got, I don't know, four or five elders and, and different ones, but their job is really to equip you to do the work. You need to be the hands of Calvary Chapel South to the world around you and to the world internationally. And you can do it through your commitment, through your prayer, through your giving, through going, through being a part of what God wants you to do. 
Fourth thing we can do is be committed to release people as full-time missionaries. Like we said, not everyone is called, but the, some are called, and, and for them, let's stand with them. And, and it's not just look at, think of the words missionaries. Let's think of any full-time ministers who've really given themselves. Number five, develop strategies to help our church grow in both local and international mission. What kind of strategies would help Calvary Chapel grow? What kind of things can you do that would, 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 would come up and support Kevin and, and the elders' heart for missions? What could you do? What part could you play? Sometimes people want to do it, but they don't know what to do. We need to help them to see there are things we, you can do. You can be involved. Everyone can be involved. There's a job big enough and and opportunities great enough for all to be involved. Number six, be committed to finishing the Great Commission, to bringing the good news to all people in our generation. And number seven, believe God for a new release of pioneer missionaries, both locally and internationally. I'm believing God for that. I'm asking for that. In February and March, I'll be leading a group of 50 leaders, and one of the things I want to install in them is vision for the, for the apostolic to keep going where the gospel is not gone, whether it's in, in the mind molders of society or whether it's in the deepest parts of Senegal or wherever it might be in America, that we would continue to push back the kingdom of darkness. It's my desire that we would be a truly mission-minded church and more and more so every year, growing every year. Paul said this, and I'll finish with this. Brothers, I do not consider myself to yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, listen to that, singleness of purpose. One thing I do, and he's talking about walking with God here. He's talking about knowing him, the power of his resurrection, and fellowship of sharing the suffering. He says, one thing I do. I love this, singleness of mind. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining ahead toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's stress, let's stretch forward to win that prize. Whatever it is, it could be human trafficking. It could be um, your, your neighbor in the store. It could be doing a Bible study on, on a street corner. You don't have to, you know, you know, we can actually teach the Bible outside of churches. Don't say that too loud. But you can do that anywhere. Whatever it may be, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. Right now, can you say that with me? I press on toward the goal to which the prize, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I believe God wants us to grow in missions. Calvary South. You're doing great jobs. You, I know some of the people you support and stand with year after year. In my case, decades, two and a half decades. And, but we're just beginning. There's much, much more. Should we pray? Lord Jesus, we, we thank you. You were the perfect example of missions. You left perfect heaven. You left in the glory. You left it all to become 
a little infant, infant, and to grow up in a in a world that hated you, and uh, you gave it all to bring life to all men. Lord, we want to follow your example as a church. We want to grow in missions and see that your purposes and plans are fulfilled in our generation, in our church, in our communities, in the world you've called us to. And Lord, we don't know how to do that, but we come to you tonight and just say we want to press on toward that goal. We want to press on to be more mission-minded in the months and the years to come. And I pray this in Jesus' name.